Now we've already read the text to our message for this morning. The Lord has laid upon my heart to give to you. And I'm continuing to think about our nation. But I'm also thinking about our continent. Because we are part of a continent. Uh, the Americas. That extend from Canada all the way down to South America. And I'll we'll bring that up later on. But... Um, let me say this, and that is, uh, by way of introduction, though the times are difficult, in fact, perilous, perilous times will come, the Bible warns us, yet God continues to build His church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In this part of redemptive history, in the extension of the kingdom of God into the Gentile world, to the nations other than, of course, Israel, God was building His church. City by city, country by country, continent by continent. First, Asia. And then now, Europe. In verse 4, and as they went through the cities, meaning the Apostle Paul and Silas and those that were part of his evangelistic and missionary team, they delivered them the decrees for to keep. These were decrees or rulings, adjudication by the, we call it today, the synod and that time it was the council which was at Jerusalem and so that was their uh, you might say their immediate impetus but but they were after more because along the way they would be planting more churches for the Lord Jesus Christ and in verse 5 and so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily uh, in churchplanting.com uh, is uh, noted he, that is the Apostle Paul, probably started close to 20 churches himself. Now that's unparalleled. In the RSUS, you have some men who have been pastors of maybe three or four, maybe five churches. Maybe they helped to start one, two, or maybe five at the most. But after that, that's it. The bulk of our time, the lion's share of our time, as pastors has taken up shepherding the flock, the Apostle Paul was called to a very particular task of planting churches. And it says that he probably started close to 20 churches himself, with many more born out of those by his apprentice leaders, those that the Lord raised up. Uh, godly men who, who were teachable, who taught others. In Asia alone, Asia is actually... This area right here, where the concentration of the work was on his second missionary journey, which is where we're at in this sermon. Uh, in Asia alone, the New Testament mentions that Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, Colossae, and Heropolis. Now, of them, Ephesus, 
was a particularly proactive city, full of churches, full of groups meeting and homes, just like what's happening right now all over the United States and the world. And from that work, all the others were started, meaning the other churches. So while starting upwards of 20 churches in one's life is impressive, what is far more impressive is how many daughters, granddaughters, and great-granddaughters were birthed from those, meaning daughter churches, and granddaughter churches, and great-granddaughter churches. Now there are four steps that I note from this passage that I would, I would adamantly uh, assess or uh, put forth as necessary for the accomplishing of this humongous task. And the first one I call closed doors and an open door. It says in verse 6, Now when they had gone through Persia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, what was going on was this. That after leaving Antioch in Syria, which is the home base, this was the mother church in the Gentile world. This is uh, kind of the headquarters of the launching pad for missions throughout the Mediterranean world. Paul would continue westward, as you can see by this uh, line here with uh, red X's or stars or crosses. And he would continue westward, passing through the towns of Derby, Lystra, which is where he picks up Timothy, his son of the faith and fellow minister, and Iconium, all located in southern Galatia. On his way to Ephesus in Asia, this is where he's headed. But you notice something happens there. There's like a hiccup, a bump in the road. God stopped him from going that far at this time. Later on, he would get there in the third missionary journey. Since the Holy Spirit kept him from going west, as we read, Paul tried to make his way north and pass by the edge of Asia, going towards Bithynia, which is another country. Now when Paul tried to go to Bithynia, the Holy Spirit again stopped him from doing that as well. In verse 7, For they that were come to Mysia, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered, meaning He permitted them not. They weren't able to go there. So the apostolic band was essentially cut off from the southwest of Asia, as well as the northeast, which would be Bithynia. Is that they negotiated a path that basically took them right, as you can see here, right between the two forbidden uh, parts to the seaside town of Troas by the Aegean Sea. It says in verse 8, And they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas. And there they waited to see what God was going to tell them next. 
Now, I'd like to pause for a moment and say that, you know, when we encounter closed doors to God's will in our lives, to things that we have planned for ourselves in our lives, uh, it can be very frustrating, as I'm sure they were from time to time in their journey, because after all, they were doing this for the Lord. They were fulfilling the Great Commission to go out to all the nations. Well, why is now God restricting them as to where they can go? What about these souls in these other places that uh, would not otherwise hear the gospel? Doesn't God care about them? Why does it seem like He's an answer prayer? Well, the truth is that He is, because if you recall, one of the important ingredients, one of the important petitions of prayer according to our Lord is what? To pray according to His will. That will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And so next, he, he and they uh, have a vision. Or maybe it's just Paul. Paul in the night, it says in verse 9, had a vision. A vision appeared to him. And there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him or begged him, saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. So there's this vision. Now, I, I, I can't explain visions. Uh, I have dreams. I have uh, things that might be God uh, working in my heart. I know you experience this as well, uh, causing you to weigh matters in favor of uh, a certain decision, a certain course of action, uh, a certain move in your life. And, and, and you continue to pray about that. But in this case, apparently there was an actual man that came to the Apostle Paul's mind. And this was in a time when visions were common because the Word of God was not inscripturated yet. And so part of the way that God communicated supernaturally was through visions as well as through dreams and appearances of angels and, and even the Lord Jesus. The Apostle Paul actually saw the Lord Jesus. So here they, here they or, or Paul, uh, sees a man praying to God and praying to him to come over into Macedonia and help us. Now Macedonia is a region located across the Aegean Sea here, north of Greece. It's a huge area and we don't even see all of it there. But that's what is known today as Europe. That is Europe. And I won't even begin to get into um, the mission field there because it's just breaking ground at this time. The cities of Philippi and Thessalonica are there. Those are two major cities that, of course, received a special letter towards the end of the Apostle Paul's life. But more importantly, going there would bring the gospel of the grace of God from Asia into Europe for the first time. Verse 10, and after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia. Now this is Luke writing the book of Acts, so apparently he joined them somewhere along the way as well. Luke, the, the one who's the author of his gospel. Assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them, they knew with more and greater certainty that this is what was happening. God was drawing them specifically there and particularly to Philippi where this 
groundbreaking work would start. Just as groundbreaking as when the first disciples left and scattered from Jerusalem and spread the gospel throughout the immediate surrounding area of the Mediterranean world. And so off they went, verse 11. Therefore, loosing from Troas, in other words, they got on the next ship, we came with straight course to Samothracia and the next day to Neapolis. That's over in Greece. As you can see, there's an island of Samothracia and then uh, Neapolis. Neapolis is the city. And from thence, verse 12, to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia. And a colony, just like San Diego, uh, is a uh, military city. Uh, this was a colony of the Roman Empire. And we were in that city abiding certain days. How beautiful are the feet of them which preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things to come. Where to start? Where do you start? Well, you start where you're at. You start where the Lord has you. You don't move. You don't go looking for where you think God would have you, but you go with His leading and His guiding. For after all, He is the shepherd. He is the shepherd. And so it says in verse 13, And on the Sabbath, which would be Saturday, the holy day of the Jews, we went out of the city by a riverside, where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. It turns out that these women, and probably others, would go to this spot, and pray. This was their rendezvous point. This was their uh, prayer meeting location. Just like uh, we would have a prayer meeting in my house or in uh, other homes in the past. Now, the Jewish community, and, and normally uh, the first place where they would go would be the synagogue, but the Jewish community did not have what it took to start a synagogue yet, uh, which would be a minimum of 10 Jewish heads of homes or households, uh, that was a requirement before they could actually do that. And so they would pray in the open sky, just like what we have done and even are, I guess, semi-doing right now out here in the open. Now apparently this was a regular thing as is indicated, how they were want to pray, prayer was want to be made, which means it was their custom. And you know what, when something is a custom or a tradition, it's a good thing. And, and prayer is not only a necessity, but it's a blessing. Now this was a location adjacent to a road that would lead out of the city and cross what would be the Ganges River. So few men, so because there were a few men, as I said, they weren't able to have the synagogue, so that's where they meet. And you know what? Even though there were a few men uh, that were at the prayer meeting, there were pl plenty of spiritually-minded ladies who read from the Old Testament law, 
who had discussion about the scriptures, if they didn't have any one to teach them, they would do the best that they could. And that's what was to do. And they prayed. They prayed after what they read because they were convinced that this was the word of God. Now let me make a tentative conclusion, and that is this, that obviously God wanted for these ladies to be the first Bible study and prayer group to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, because that's what happened. And not all were of Jewish ancestry, as we uh, see in verse 14. Lydia, a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us. She was what they call a God-fearer. She was not Jewish. She was a Gentile who adopted the true religion of Hebrews. It's called a God-fearer. She was born and raised to believe in gods and goddesses of Thyatira. But she didn't worship at the Parthenon or the temple where all these deities were in her hometown. God had worked in her heart. She was a businesswoman, very, uh, very adept at what she's doing, and relocated to Philippi. So she became a God-fearer and joined other Jews and wanted to become part of this group of ladies who had the true faith and was one step move, moving in that direction and, and would have probably become an actual proselyte and, and adopted Jew herself if the Apostle Paul didn't show up with his apostolic team. Many would, uh, let me go back. And so we meet Lydia at this location of this riverside outside of Philippi with a group of women, all of whom were there for the specific purpose of studying the Word of God and praying. And it was there that Paul and Silas met her and talked to her about the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Another tentative conclusion I would make is this, and that is that it is obvious that God wanted for these ladies to hear the word of God and to be the first Bible study and prayer group to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ in Europe. I have a picture here. I always, whenever possible, try to have a picture to kind of put me back in time in this location. And this would be perhaps what it would look like at that meeting of the great Apostle Paul Silas and this group of ladies. And they were all ears. That's one thing about those who are serious about the Word of God. Those who uh, are workmen that need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, bringing light, who do not take anyone's word for it, but who are of a ready mind, meaning they're like a sponge, they're teachable, and search the scriptures daily whether these things are so. And that is that they're all ears, and they're hearing everything you say. And that's how we should be. I hope you're this way. Then something marvelous happened. We talked about 
Oh, there was an open door that led to Philippi. There were open ears to hear everything that the apostles, in this case, Paul and Silas, taught. They were all ears, but now something marvelous took place in one of them. In verse 14, Lydia, whose heart the Lord opened. There's an open heart for the first time. And notice that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And that word attend means with great alacrity, with great focus, and as if her life depended on it. And she knew that it did. Just as you and I, when the Lord first confronted us about the gospel and worked in our hearts by His Spirit and realized that life and death hang in the balance and we were attentive to the Word of God. As it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. Thus she became the first convert to the Christian faith in Europe. And again, another tentative conclusion I would make is obviously God wanted Lydia to be the first to be saved. And the reason why I, I make these statements along the way is this, and that is that it is obvious by the fact of what has taken place in God's providence, in the lives of these who become God's people. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And lastly, open house. And where do I get that? Well, in verse 15, it says that when she was baptized and her household, meaning that they were convinced, she was convinced of the truth of the gospel and believed it with all of her heart, and was baptized herself, she began to witness it to her entire household. And those included people that were not family, that were slaves, servants. And after they all came to faith who did, and any infants that were in their households too, because we believe that that's part, that children are part of the covenant family and thus are to be baptized. After they were all baptized, then it says in verse 15 also, she besought us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. There is no saying no to this woman. This is how hardly she cling to the Apostle Paul. She prevailed upon the apostles to stay probably several weeks. And why? To further instruct them in their most holy faith, in their newfound faith in Christ. Like that wee little man Zacchaeus, of whom the Lord says, This day salvation come into this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. Lady had become a daughter of Abraham, a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. She probably had a large house where the first Christian church started. So it never went through the process of becoming a synagogue and then a church. It went immediately to becoming a church. And she could afford it, being a seller of this very expensive purple dye that is used to dye the clothing of royalty and the rich. And a confirmation of this was after the next episode 
in the apostles' journey, where they were, as you might recall, put in prison for their faith. After they were released, where did they return to, according to verse 40? And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. Obviously, again, God wanted the first church to start in the house of Lydia. She was thankful for the gospel, so thankful that she became a disciple of the apostle and of the Lord. And so were all those whose hearts the Lord would open later in the household of Lydia and in the community and churches that would start in Philippi. Just imagine if you were in those places where the Holy Spirit forbade the apostles to go, like Bithynia and a large part of Asia, even though later on he would go back to those places, at least to Asia, where would they be now but in eternal hell? And so those who are converted, such as Lydia and her family and her household, are most thankful, as I know you are, who are in the Lord willing to show forth the praises of Him who has called you out of the darkness of sin into the marvelous light of Christ. In conclusion, obviously we're not in Europe, we're here in America, but guess what? The gospel went from Europe eventually to come to this continent. The Lord wanted the gospel to come here and open the door for the coming of the pilgrims on the Mayflower in 1620, and the Puritans later in 1630 thereabouts, from Europe. Now the reasons may be mixed, not entirely because of religious persecution, as in the case of the pilgrims who were looking for uh, opportunities to care for their families, to raise their households, which they didn't have in the Netherlands. But nevertheless, they brought with them the gospel to their new home to the new homeland. And so God began to have more of his people here as well. He has blessed this nation because of the gospel of salvation. Like the women's prayer group by the river, may we also be continuing to pray out of thankfulness to God for his unspeakable gift of salvation and eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And let us continue to be, be in prayer for God to send out His light and truth to this very dark land that has become darker because of sin and Satan. And pray that, that more may be saved. Let us be like the Macedonian man in that vision received by the Apostle Paul. Let us be like those ladies in that prayer meeting by the river, because this is what God answered. And look how marvelously He answered. And so there is hope. There's hope for our country. There's hope for America. Because even though, as was reported by my son, and he couldn't say all that much, I'm talking about Ezra, he did confirm what we're hearing in the news that there's a torrential flood of souls crossing the border 
at this very moment. And that is in God's providence. But let us not forget that all the while, Christ is building his church. And he calls upon us to be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom we shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that we might not run in vain, nor labor in vain. And with that, shall we pray. O Heavenly Father, we have so much to be thankful for. We have so many blessings being raised in a country that freely allows us to worship you and that freely allows the gospel to be preached, unlike many, many places throughout the world that forbid it. Lord, your Holy Spirit has allowed the gospel to come here and has caused many to come to saving faith in you. Lord, may we be thankful for this. May we be so thankful for this because we are in the kingdom of God. And may we desire that many more will come to know you. And may we, Lord, uh, be like those that we have heard about who uh, let God and let go, allow God to work and allow to be used by God for the gospel. Either in praying in the, uh, in the headquarters, as it were, or the actual going out of the gospel into the highways and byways, into the fields that are wide of the harvest. And so, Lord, may we as a church be like that, be as a team, working together, and by our example, encourage others to do the same. For we ask and pray all of this with thanksgiving.